So we continue our series in 1 Corinthians this morning. This is the third sermon in this series. If you've missed the first two, I encourage you to go back to our website and get caught up. In the first two sermons thus far, we said that Paul is writing this letter to a church in the city of Corinth. Corinth was a city in southern Greece. The Corinthian church was a problem church, to say the least. And in this letter that Paul is, will write, is writing to them or has written to them, we will see gospel answers for a problem church. And we saw in the first week, for example, that Paul's authority comes from Christ. He's writing this letter as an apostle, and he's also the one who has been called to be an apostle, but he's also the one who tells these Corinthians that they've been called to be saints. We said that the last time that Paul instructed them that As they are believers, they are complete in Jesus Christ, and they are enriched by grace, and therefore they lack nothing spiritually. We now go to verse 10 as we see that Paul is done by the way of introduction and is now going to get into the meat of his letter and gets down to business. Look at verse 10. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers... By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This word appeal is a very interesting word. It's an urgency that Paul is coming before them. The word literally means to call to one side. It's like Paul is coming alongside them as a, as a brother in Christ. It's almost like he's putting his arm around them and about to give them some counsel But it's not some friendly advice to cheer them on. He's going to implore them, to request them, to listen. As there's something in them that is not right and needs to change. He appeals to them. And he appeals to them, again, not just in his authority. Which the Lord has given Paul authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ. But he does this. Listen, I appeal to you, brothers... Those are the Christians, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm coming to you, Paul says, by the one who is our king. I'm coming to you in the one in whose name we do everything. And this name of the Lord is all throughout the New Testament. It is something that is often repeated and which is the foundation and the basis of the Christian life. Everything we do, brothers and sisters, is because it's done for him and in his authority and in his command. For example, it is in the name of the Lord by which we are commanded to repent of our sins and be saved. In Romans chapter 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For example, it's also the name by which Sinners repent. In Acts 2.38, Peter says to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is the name by which we are commanded as believers to do everything in this life for Him. For example, in Colossians chapter 3, Paul says to them, And whatever you do, In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. It's the name by which we baptize believers. 
Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And it is in the name by which we are commanded to pray. Jesus instructs the disciples in John 14, 14, by saying, If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. We are called by God's name. We are saved by God's name. We live in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our banner. Amen? It is him that we march forward and obey. And so Paul is writing to these Corinthians. They would be familiar with this phrase, in the name of the Lord. I'm coming to you not because I'm giving you my opinion. I'm coming to you with orders from the top. I'm coming to you and appealing to you, urging you, coming alongside of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to listen to me. There's something very important that I need to share with you. And what is that? Here it is. Let's go back to um, verse 10. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I appeal to you what? That you all agree. Is Paul crazy? How can you get a bunch of people to agree on anything? You've probably heard the expression, wherever you'll find two people, there's three opinions. Often in Baptist churches, for sure. We all have our preferences. We all have our favorite things. And we all know the one thing that is true. We aren't all going to agree. But that's not what Paul is saying here. He's not saying that, hey, everything in the church, everyone needs to be uniform. You know what a uniform is, right? It's when everyone wears the same thing. He's not saying that all believers need to be uniform and have uniformity in all matters of life. That's just not true. He says, this word agree, actually, in the Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in. Paul wrote this in Greek. The word agree there literally means to say the same word. He's wanting these believers to say the same thing, to be on the same page about something. Now, he hasn't said what that is yet, and we're going to get to it in just a little bit. But this is so important. It's not that you're going to be agreeing on everything, but there's something you've got to agree on. There's something that has to be at the central foundation point of the church life for the sake of unity. We don't want uniformity. We want unity. Unity is when we all agree to move forward in central truth, putting aside our desire for everyone else to be like me. Now, wouldn't it be nice if everyone was like me? I mean, I get along with all you people. Great. But that's just not possible, right? That's just not possible. But why we must agree, look what he says next. I implore you by the name of the Lord Jesus, I appeal to you that you all agree. Why? That there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. 
So apparently there was division happening within the Corinthian church. The church, this happened because they were failing to agree to say the same thing about what Paul's going to get to in a minute. There was a disagreement brewing and it was threatening their unity. Threatening the togetherness, the cohesiveness of the church body. Uh, before we see that thing, Paul uses a very dramatic word here for divisions. It's, in the Greek, it's the word schism. We get that English word schism. It's used elsewhere like to tear a garment. So this word division is very serious. If you would take a, a garment and just rip it in half. This is the word he uses for what's happening in the Corinthian church. They are not agreeing about what's important. And because of this... It is tearing the church apart. I implore you in the name of the Lord, agree or say the same thing so that there be no divisions. What good is that garment after it's torn? It's really not good for much, but to maybe be a rag. Here's this church who's supposed to love one another, serve one another, belong to one another. They're one family in Jesus Christ, but something has gotten in the way of their unity to divide them into different factions. And unity, brothers and sisters, is very important in the local church. And remember, this is in context of the local church. Paul is not writing them to be in agreement with all the other churches around the first century world at that time. He's writing to them to be in agreement within that local body in Corinth. And some people might say, well, this is why we have so many different denominations. We can't all agree. Well, that is true because we have different theological differences. But within a local body of believers, there has to be unity around the central truth in order for that church to move forward to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... He also says, to, so there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and same thread. There the word is also used that's very vivid. The word united there means literally to come together or to be made complete. Now that this garment's been torn, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go take the needle and take some thread and to sew that garment which was torn in half, and put it back together. This is what this word united means here, to be made complete. Bring that garment which was torn and bring it whole again. You have to repair it because it's been damaged. Uniting that garment will take work, but it's necessary because this is Christ's church. And so this is where Paul begins to give them gospel answers for this problem church. So the very first problem we see in Corinth is that they were a divided church. They were a church who was split up into different groups. And this is what he says in verse 11. Paul tells us what the problem is. In verse 11, he says, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Now we have no idea who Chloe's people are, but whoever they are, they had some evidence to show Paul what was happening in Corinth was not good and needed to be corrected. Remember, Paul spent 18 months in Corinth. 
He planted the church, shared the gospel, people got saved, the church was formed, and then he left. He left because of persecution. And then while he's writing this letter, he is writing this letter from Ephesus. He's writing it while he's with the Ephesians. And word comes back to Paul. And so Paul has the need to write them this letter to explain to them what they ought to correct. And he says here that there is quarreling there. What the word for quarreling is interesting too. It's a heated argument between people who are supposed to be friendly. Or maybe we might use the word friendly fire. Why are you shooting yourselves? Why are you attacking? You are one body in Christ. Why are you after each other, eating each other up? There is quarreling you, my brothers, and the word is getting out. This church at Corinth is troubling, and is the testimony of Christ is being harmed. And what is the specific quarreling about? Look at verse 12. What I mean, and thank you, Paul, for bringing clarity. Thank you. <laughs> what I mean is this, that each one of you, that means everybody in the church, each one of you says, I follow Paul. Or, I follow Apollos. Or, I follow Cephas. Or, I follow Christ. So, the Corinthian church was split up into four different groups based on their favorite celebrity preacher. That's what was going on. Their favorite celebrity apostle. And most likely, they were fanboys of the one who baptized them. And because of that, they found their identity in that apostle, thinking they were better than the other people in the church who claimed a different apostle. This is what Paul says. This is what it means to be torn into a garment into four different sections. Now, why these four people? Why would these four people have a following in the church? Well, Paul, we know well. It's him. He was the one that they knew well and the one that they spent a lot of time with. He's the one who started the church. He was uh, like a father figure to them in the faith. And so some people were loyal to Paul. And many people were perhaps bragging that, hey, you can follow who you want. We go back to the OG the guy who started this place, all right? So you go follow Peter, you go follow Apollos. We're going back to our roots. We follow Paul. We belong to him. Well, some other people gravitated towards a man named Apollos. We read, of course, about Apollos in Acts chapter 18. Apollos was a very educated, eloquent Jew who came to Corinth and shared the gospel and, of course, was discipling the people there. Powerful preaching, had oratory skills, and this would have been something that in Greek culture that the Greeks gravitated towards. Greeks love wisdom and speaking ability. They love that. Think of Socrates and Aristotle. This is ingrained into their culture. Wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. Well, Apollos was one of those guys. He was just so smart and witty and educated, and people just flocked to him for his wisdom and the way he can communicate, and, and people liked him better than Paul. He was a better preacher than Paul. He was. And so people said, I like 
Apollos better. So I'm, I'm on team Apollos. And they were divided against the people who, were divi- who said, we're going back to Paul. And then there was a third one, Cephas. Now, Cephas is the Aramaic name for Peter. So here's the apostle Peter has a, has a team Peter here. It is known, it is not, we don't know if Peter ever went to Corinth, but he had a following, no doubt. And so he, they, they gravitated towards him, and perhaps the speculation here is perhaps these are some of the Jewish believers, because Peter was the apostle to the Jews, Paul's an apostle to the Gentiles, and so now the church might be fractioning off now based on racial or cultural barriers. And so we're going to gravitate to the one who's the apostle to the Jews, Peter. And, and you go back to the OG, Paul? Yeah, he started this church. But the guy we follow actually walked and talked with Jesus. This is the guy who w- tried to walk on the sea and he started sinking until Jesus saved him. This is Peter we're talking about. The guy who stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached and 3,000 people got saved. That guy. So, yeah, you could go back to Paul. You could like Apollos for his preaching ability. But we are going back to the apostle Peter. He goes before Paul. Wow. And then there was a fourth group. And this fourth group said, I follow Christ. Now, you may say, well, what's wrong with that? Nothing. Nothing is wrong with following Christ, but Paul is calling them out for it. Now, why? Because these people had right doctrine, right? They had the right doctrine. They knew that it was not right to place your identity in these other people. So they say, we're Jesus people. You follow all these other men. We're going to follow Jesus, which is the right answer. But they practiced it horribly. Because by being a follower of Jesus and saying, I follow Jesus, what they were doing is perhaps seeing themselves as holier than thou. They were taking great spiritual pride in their following of Jesus than the other groups. And notice, the first word in each of these sentences is what? I. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Peter. I follow Christ. They all have the same root problem. It's pride. And brothers and sisters, there's nothing that's going to destroy a church's unity more than pride. Pride is at the heart and at the root of any and all sin. You name the sin, I can guarantee you we'll trace it back to a prideful heart. Name the church division or the church split, and it goes back to pride. Pride is the first sin. It was the pride of of the the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes is all based in me, 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 I, I, I. And so their sin, no matter the group, even the people who say they're following Christ, They're boasting and basing their identity and their unity in who they follow instead of what Jesus has done for them. Very, very sad. 
And so here's the gospel answers that Paul's about to tell them. He's given them the problem. You've destroyed your unity. You're full of pride. And now I'm commanding you in the name of the Lord Jesus. You need to agree. Agree on what? Stay tuned. Look at verse 13. He asks them some questions to help them think through their foolishness. In verse 13, he asks the question, Is Christ divided? The obvious answer to this is no. There's one Jesus. So then why are you acting, Corinthians, like there's four different Jesuses? Essentially, that's what you're doing. Because you are one church, and the church Paul has already told them, is the body of Christ. And so when there is four different churches within one church, it's like you are dividing up Jesus. Is that the kind of Jesus that you want to represent to the world? Because that is a false Jesus. The Jesus that I came there to Corinth telling you, Corinthians, was the Jesus who calls all sinners, Jews and Gentiles, men and women, slave and free to himself. And he's not made you into four different distinct groups. He's made you into one people, redeemed and purchased by his blood. It is this Jesus whom you have unity in. Why are you living like there's four different Jesuses and there's four different divisions of the body of Christ? That is not good. Again, I think what they were wanting in their pride was uniformity. The Paul people wanted all the other people to follow them like they follow Paul. The Paulos people said, why can't we just have a good preacher? We got to listen to him every week. Why don't we just focus on his abilities? And other people are saying, well, we're Jews and we like Peter and Peter walked with Jesus. No, they wanted everyone else to be like them. And that is the problem. They put themselves number one. They put their preferences before anybody else. See, the problem here is not having a favorite apostle. Let's just get that straight. The problem was not that some liked Paul better than Apollos. The problem was not that some liked Peter better than, um, uh, uh, than Paul. There's nothing wrong with having your favorite preacher. I, I'm assuming I'm your favorite preacher. Uh, maybe I've gone too far now. Okay. Uh, what is wrong here is they're basing their unity on their preferences and saying that anybody else is wrong and not as good as them for not liking the things they like. Now, we often joke, and I'm sure this is going to get some moans and groans around here. But we often joke about the two divisions in our church. You know, you've got iPhone people and Android people. I'm still waiting for the Android people to show the fruit of their salvation. Pun intended. But we joke about that. But obviously, you know, we're not serious. Right? <laughs> Most of the time. Um, I can give you some advice after the service, okay? Um, it's not wrong to have a favorite apostle, but it's wrong to divide the church and to break the unity of the body over you and over your preferences, over your pride. That's sinful. 
Who are you? And churches have split over time for the silliest of reasons. Some churches fight over the color of the carpet. We, got, we want red carpet. Well, we want blue carpet. And then the red carpet people leave when the blue carpet people win. And there's... You think that's... I'm making that up? That happens. Uh, Lori was telling me that uh, in, in a church that she was new of uh, growing up in, in her town, they spent, I don't know, like 45 minutes in a business meeting arguing where to put a light bulb in the budget. And there were people who had one opinion, and other people had another opinion, and they were going crazy over where to put a light bulb in the budget and willing to sacrifice and stand on their principles until they got their way. Until finally a guy set, rose up and said, here's five bucks, buy the light bulb. <laughs> Crazy and silliness abounds. Now, there is some things, and, and let's just be clear here, that sometimes it is necessary for the sake of the gospel and the sake of doctrine and truth that there be division in a church. You cannot sacrifice truth for unity. You cannot say, well, let's all come together and we're just going to believe what we want. Well, on some things, yes, you can believe what you want. If you think, if you think Android's better than Apple, great. You're in Christ. You're my brother and sister. Come on in. But if you're going to tell me that the Bible is not God's word and that God is not sovereign and that God, salvation is not by grace, by faith, sorry, that's something to take a stand on because God has spoken. And so let's not because there's some people that do that. They let everything, everybody say their thing and let bygones be bygones and everyone just be happy, just keep sending in your money. And that's why we left the Southern Baptist Convention. Because the Southern Baptist Convention is willing to sacrifice truth for unity. And we won't have that. This is not what's going on here in Corinth. Matter of fact, he says something very similar to the Ephesians. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, chapter verse 1. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one body, he's talking about the church, and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and all in all. This is what we base our unity on. What we base our unity on is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What we base our unity on is the doctrine of the Word of God. This is where we are unified and where we must be in agreement. There is one church, not four, one spirit, not many, one Lord. It's not your way to worship Jesus and my way to worship Jesus. No, there's one Jesus. And as long as you're on team Jesus, you're okay. This is where our unity is based on. One Lord, one faith, one baptism... If we are the body of Christ together, and we are a divided church over trivial matters, over things that don't matter, over our selfish pride, then we are sinning greatly. 
And this has happened time and time again over church history. The reformers had to face this battle in the 16th century. Martin Luther was not wanting to start a new church, but when he nailed his 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg in 1517, he was just wanting the bait. But when the bait was not ready to be had by the Pope, then they had to divide over truth. And that's something that you could always bank on. Truth will divide. Because people don't like truth, especially in this day and age. Paul will later also bring up this matter in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 about their allegiances to certain apostles. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 He says in verse 21, So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death, or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. What he's trying to say to them here is, you want the best that Paul has? You want the best that Peter has to offer? And Apollos, do you not know that you are sacrificing what God has given you through these godly men who are ministering to you? And you're ignoring Peter or Paul or Apollos or whatever may have it? Do you understand what you're doing? And the people who are saying they're following Jesus, maybe they're ignoring the apostles altogether. This is the problem that happens when in Corinth, When they boast in the abilities of men, and this happens again and again and again. We live in a very celebrity-driven culture, don't we? Even in the church world, right? There's great men of God who preach the Word of God and stand up for truth. And we're thankful for such men over church history that have heralded truth and taken powerful stands. But guess what? They're not the Savior, As thankful as we are for Charles Spurgeon or or, uh, John MacArthur or R.C. Sproul or Calvin or Luther or Zwingli, they are not the basis of our unity. We belong to Christ. And because we belong to Christ, we have everything that all these men do in the name of Christ for our good. So why have one over the others? You're jipping yourselves by bragging in one man. This is what Paul says. Don't boast in man. Boast in God. Look at the second question he asks in verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First question was, is Christ divided? The second one is, was Paul crucified for you? Obviously, the answer to this is no. Why are you basing your identity in me, Paul says? You're Paul people. No, be Jesus people. Paul will later tell them, follow me as I follow Christ. Because Paul says, guess what? My life might go sideways. Only follow me as I follow the Lord. I didn't die for you. This is not my church. Your faith isn't dependent on me. I didn't save you. I didn't die for you. You're not righteous because of me. Stop giving me glory. You belong to Christ. Ground your spirituality. Ground your truth and your unity in Christ who never changes. Paul changes. Paul fails every day. Don't put your hope in me. And the third thing he says, Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? 
Verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. Again, he's addressing probably something that was going on. Not only did they say, well, here's my favorite preacher. They were saying, well, Paul baptized me. There's only a few of them that could say that. And this is what Paul's saying. He says, I'm thankful I didn't do more. People are saying, Apollos baptized me. Or Peter, Peter baptized me. And they're basing their identity in the person who works for God. And that will always fail. Always fail. I, I tell people sometimes, um, yeah, I, I, first of all, let me just say that as your pastor, I feel extremely loved. Extremely appreciated. Seriously. You, you guys love me, encourage me, support me, and I can't thank you enough. And sometimes I hear, I get notes and compliments and cards, and, and it's wonderful, right? It's wonderful. I love it. But listen, my name is Dan Sardinas, and I will fail you. And if I haven't yet, just wait five minutes. Seriously. Some of you are saying, yep, Dan's ticked me off before. Just wait. It'll be your turn next. If your relationship with God is dependent upon me, you're in trouble. Because Dan needs a Savior as well. God has called me to be an example in holiness as your pastor. But I am by no means perfect. I am being sanctified as well. This is what Paul's saying. Don't celebrate me. Celebrate Christ. He says later on in this chapter, let's just look at it now in verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, God the Father, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's what you ought to do. Boast in the Lord. Don't boast in any one of us. And even you Jesus people who are saying, I'm following Christ, you're boasting in your ability to follow Christ, thinking you're better than some way. Be careful there. That is just as laden with pride as the other ones. And now here's the crux of the matter. Look at verse 17. Finally, Paul, give us something to be united around. What do we need to agree? What do we need to say the same word about? Right? What do we need to say the same word about? It's verse 17. For, see, and there's our connecting word. Whenever you see the word therefore or for or so, those are great words. Because what's about to come is based on what just came before. Right? So whenever you see that word for in your Bible or therefore, so it's a connecting word. It's the purpose. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is what Paul wants them to agree upon. Their unity is not going to be based on personality, on preferences, but on the promises 
of the gospel of the one who was crucified, risen again from the dead, and who is soon coming back. This is Paul's driving mission in life. It was to be consumed with the gospel. Every part of Paul's life, he was dripping and bleeding. If you would cut Paul, he would bleed gospel. This is how he thought every, about everything in his life. Hey, Paul, give us some marriage advice. Okay, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Paul, you can't even talk about marriage without the gospel? Yep, that's right. Paul, they're going to kill you. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Why? Because he's risen again. Hey, Paul, you're kind of a big deal. Um, why, Why don't you take some glory for yourself? Look what he says to the Galatians in 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Every time you talk to Paul, gospel, 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 because that is what brings us together. That is what unites us as a family. That is the thing. We all come from all different walks of life. We all have different experiences. We've all had different childhoods. We all live in different places. We all have different size bank accounts, right? We all have different things in our life. But the one thing when we walk through these doors that unites us is that we all have the same Savior, that we all are sinners equally before God, and that God has had to instill into us and give us by His grace the same love and salvation needed for everyone else. We come to the table, we come to this room, we come to the cross the same. And that, that is the basis of our unity. The gospel is the glue that holds the church together. For everything else that can use to divide us and separate us, whether it be politics or this, that, and the other, guess what? Your unity is not in what happens in Washington. Your unity is not based on your favorite politician. Your unity is not based on a political party. You may agree with them, great. But did you know that most of them don't even know Christ? Some of our conservative commentators that are on the news or have blog posts, some of them have, yeah, we agree with them a lot. But they are devoid of a relationship with Christ, some of them. But yet we agree with them. And yet some people will base their unity based on what so-and-so says because they're conservative in their politics and reject what their fellow believer says in their local church. That's nonsense. Because we have the gospel in common with those in our body, but not with someone else who rejects Christ but agrees with our politics. Does that make sense? This is what's going on. This is what's going on. And churches divide over all sorts of foolishness. And sometimes it's necessary. I get it. Because truth must come first. Because Christ's body, Christ's church must be pure. We must be reforming according to the word of God. But we cannot let anything else get in the way. Let me close with a story. In April 2013, I came here on a Wednesday night 
It was the Wednesday before you voted on me becoming your pastor. And we were in this room. Most of you now weren't here then. Welcome. <laughs> Some of you are still here, and God bless you. And we all had dinner together. And then at the end of that dinner, there was a time for question and answer for you to grill me. And I thought I got away pretty easy, to be honest. But anyway, somebody, and I don't even remember who it was. Maybe someone can educate me or remind me who it was. Somebody asked the question that I was thinking about this week as I was preparing the sermon. Somebody says to me, Dan, what will you do to change us? Now, the crux of the question comes from this. At the time, I was 36. Now I'm an old man at 46. Jimmy Van has told me that he was scared to death of me. Because here comes this new young pastor with all these cool ideas, and he's going to change the church. And some of you had come from other places that had done that. In the scope of being relevant or whatever they use now. And that was the crux of the question. And I knew what the person asking the question was driving at. And my answer to them, I'll never forget. I said to them this. I said, you know, we have different music styles. There's no doubt about it. I like music that you will never listen to. I, I, I have things about me that you will never do. I'm 36. Some of them were 86. Some of them were even 96. But I said to them, listen, all those things are trivial. They're based on subjective reasons in us. I'm not going to change you. I'm not coming in here like a bull in a china closet trying to shape the church after Dan Sardinus and my preferences. My prayer is that God changes you. Not to be my preferences, but God changes you according to the word of God. And the one thing that we have to keep in common, this is what I said, the one thing that we must agree on, and if we focus on this, we're going to be all right. We must focus on the gospel. We must unite ourselves around the truth of the gospel. And I'm going to come in, and I'm going to preach verse by verse through whole books of the Bible. Some of you didn't even know what that meant at the time. Now you do. And that's what we're going to do. I'm going to love you. I'm going to preach the word. And we're going to focus on the gospel. That's what my plan is. And you said, okay. And you trusted me on Sunday with your vote to be your pastor. Nothing has changed in 10 years. The basis of our unity, even though I'm 10 years older now, is still the same. It's not in music styles or Bible translations. It's in truth, and it's in Christ. It's who we are in Christ, and that will never change, my friends. That is our basis of the unity. The gospel is our glue that holds us together. And like Paul says, 
I have been crucified with Christ. While the Corinthians were saying, I this, I that, here's Paul saying, no, 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 I'm crucified. It's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. And so that must be our song. Yet not I, but Christ in me. Let's not be like the Corinthians, about I, 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 me, 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 let me get my way. No, Christ, Christ first and foremost, nothing else matters, period. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who's worked in this church now in almost 26 years. Thank you for the privilege of being here for 10 and the privilege to preach the word verse by verse, to make application, to focus on the gospel as a family. Lord, continue to grow us and sanctify us according to your word. Father, if there be any divisions or factions based in this church, I pray the Lord that you would stomp it out. You call people to repentance over their pride. And they'd focus on their unity in Christ. Thank you, God, for such hard truth given to these Corinthians. This problem church receiving gospel answers. Lord, we also need these same gospel answers at Northwest. Lord, help us to mean what we sing, yet not I, but through Christ in me. May this be our rallying cry. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet as we sing a closing song together. Again, if we could help you today in any way, please see me after the service. If you don't know Jesus, I'd love to share him with you and how you could become a Christian. But now as we close, let's sing this song as a prayer. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Let's sing.